fashions. Then Guelphs were known from Ghibellinis by the way they cut their fruit at table, by the colour of roses they wore, by the way they yawned and spoke and were clad. Often the struggles and brawls became so fierce in a city that to get a little peace the townsmen would call in an outsider to rule over them for a while. With the citizens so divided among themselves, it will not surprise you to learn that the communes everywhere at last lost their independence. They passed under the rule of the king, as in France, or else, as happened in Italy, they fell into the power of some tyrant or local lord. But let us think not of the weaknesses and mistakes of these old townsmen, but of their earnest busy life and its quaint surroundings. Imagine yourself a peasant lad, fleeing from your lord, or coming for the first time to the market in the city. As we approach the city gates we see that the walls are strong, and crowned with turrets, and the gate is defended with drawbridge and portcullis like the entrance to a castle. Within are narrow winding streets, with rows of tall-roofed houses, each with its garden attached. The houses themselves are more like our houses to-day than like the Greek and Roman ones, for they have no courtyard in the interior, and are several stories high. The roadway is unpaved and full of mud, and there are no sewers. If you walk the streets after nightfall, you must carry a torch to light your footsteps, for there are no street lamps. There are no policemen, but if you are out after dark you must beware the city watch, who take turns in guarding the city, for they will make you give a strict account of yourself. Now, however, it is day, and we need have no fear. Presently we come into the business parts of the city, and there we find the different trades, grouped together in different streets. Here are the goldsmiths, and there are the tanners, here the cloth merchants, and there the butchers, here the armor smiths, and there the money changers. The little shops are all on the ground floor, with their wares exposed for sale in the open windows. Let us look in at one of the goldsmith's shops. The shopkeeper and his wife are busily engaged, waiting on customers, and inviting passers-by to stop and examine their goods. Within we see several men and boys at work, making the goods which their master sells. There the gold is melted and refined. The right amount of alloy is mixed with it, then it is cast, beaten, and filed into the proper shape. Then perhaps the article is enamelled, and jewels are set in it. All of these things are done in this one little shop, and so it is for each trade. The workmen must all begin at the beginning, and start with the rough material, and the apprentices, as the boys are called, must learn each of the processes by which the raw material is turned into the finished article. Thus a long term of apprenticeship is necessary for each trade, lasting sometimes for ten years. During this time the boys are fed, clothed, and lodged with their master's family above the shop, and receive no pay. If they misbehave, he has the right to punish them, and if they run away, he can pursue them and bring them back. Their life, however, is not so hard as that of the peasant boys, and through it all they look forward to the time when their apprenticeship shall be completed. Then they will become full members of the guild, of their trade, and may work for whatever master they please." For a while they may wander from city to city, working now for this master and now for that. 